Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. enduring parts of Judaism to this day is a reverence for the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are read throughout the year in synagogues everywhere, with the cycle of readings concluding at the fall festival of Sukkot. While there is no temple and no Levitical priesthood, the Torah is still perceived as relevant and worth keeping in the Jewish community today. One common objection Jewish people have to believing in Jesus is that Christianity is perceived to be anti-Torah, that Jesus can't be the Messiah because the Messiah would never abolish the Torah. However, we know Yeshua said he did not come to abolish the Torah, but rather fulfill. So how can we respond to this objection? On today's episode, we have invited first-time guest, Dr. Daniel Nessim, to help us answer the question, is Christianity anti-Torah? Dr. Nessam, welcome to Our Hope. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're so glad we can have you on this podcast. I know that your background is kind of around this topic, so I'm very excited to hear what your insights are. Uh, as a first-time guest on Our Hope, we have to ask you one very important question. What is your favorite food? You know what popped in my mind when I uh, heard you say that is uh, potato latkes for Hanukkah. But oh, wow. really? I think it's probably actually um, poppy seed hamantaschen from Purim. That mm. I really love a nice big hamantaschen, which is a kind of cookie or biscuit uh, filled with poppy seed and honey. Those are delicious. They are delicious. We know you have a PhD in theology and religion from the University of Exeter in England, and your studies mostly focused on the earliest believers in Jesus, which is, again, very important to today's episode. Uh, but first, we just want to know, what drew you to study this subject? 
Well, you know, as a young Jewish believer in my teens and 20s, um, I grew up in a church that believed that the Torah was absolutely irrelevant to mm. believers today. And I really had to question that as a Jewish believer because I, I wanted to know, really, there, there's more to it because the Torah is spoken of throughout the scriptures in the New Testament in positive terms. Uh, yeah. How could it be absolutely irrelevant today? And so that kind of set me on a track where I started studying more and more and I wanted to learn more about it. I wanted to be a better teacher. I don't know if that happened, but nevertheless, mm -hmm. uh, I, I really felt I need to come to grips with this topic. And so that's really what led me into this. Wow, that's awesome. So before we jump into Christianity and the Torah, we have to first establish what the Torah is and why it is so important to Judaism. Can you briefly share about the Torah for those in our audience who may not be familiar with it? Well, the Torah is a number of different things. Often when we talk about the Torah, we're talking about the five books of Moses. Other people view it simply as the laws that are con contained in those five books of Moses. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is, you know, take Genesis, it only has like four or five laws in it. So the Torah really is wider than that. And then there's another sense in which the Torah prophesies the coming of Messiah in Deuteronomy. And it also speaks about God's relationship to Israel. So God instructs Israel, you will be my people and I will be your God. And Israel mm -hmm. takes him up on that. It becomes a covenant or a contract between God and Israel. So the Torah is different things. But then for Jewish people, the Torah is even something else because the Torah is somehow merged with Jewish tradition in later centuries. Now, do Jewish people see obeying the Torah as a way to achieve salvation? And if not, why do they keep the Torah? That, yeah, that is a great question because I think the normal thought from the Christian side is to view things from the opposition of law and grace. You cannot mm. mix law and grace. Uh, for the Jewish people, there really isn't that much of a mixture either because for Jews, Torah is not really the way of keeping of being saved because Jewish people don't normally think about how can I be saved? They mm. would normally think, hey, I'm Jewish. Unless I'm really bad, I don't have to really worry about my eternal future because I, the Jewish phrase is, um, all Israel has a place in the world to come. Ah. And Jewish people just think that way. So salvation to Jewish people is more about those deeds of Messiah, which will save the Jewish people from the nation's world around the world that are coming to destroy them. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I would say Jewish people really aren't looking to keep the Torah as a way of salvation. On the other hand, if you are a completely wicked Jewish person and <laughs> live wickedly, then you can definitely be struck out of the book of life. That's interesting. So it's not a way to achieve salvation. It's just a way to live. Yeah, you keep the Torah if you're religious. You keep it because you are in that covenant relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is the reason to keep it. And maybe you keep it too, like 
in some sects, particularly Hasidic sects, there's the conception that the more good deeds we do, the more um, times that we obey the Torah, the closer we bring the days of Messiah. And maybe we can hasten his coming mm. by doing good deeds. Hasten the day. Well, speaking of Messiah, that leads us right to the next question. What many people tend to miss in the Gospels is that Jesus was considered a rabbi. We see his followers call him this, I guess, depending on the translation, it's either rabbi or teacher. Uh, but when we think of the word rabbi today, we probably get a slightly different idea from what Yeshua actually was. So what exactly did it mean to be considered a rabbi in the days of the Gospel? And how is Jesus different from other rabbis? Yeah, that's another great question, because in reality, in those days, the term rabbi was more of what we call an honorific. In other words, mm -hmm. it's, it's something you say to someone, it gives them, you know, honor. And so there were various terms. Rabbi would be one of them. Uh, Rav would be another or Rabban. And some of the greatest teachers of the Jewish people in those days in ancient history actually were not officially rabbis. They oh, never wow. took that title. But on the other hand, rabbi means my teacher, my great one. And so it is this um, acknowledgement that you're looking to this person for direction. Nowadays, rabbi really is a more of a technical term. You don't use the term rabbi unless you have actually been ordained by some kind of credible body. Right. And so you have reform and orthodox and and other rabbis and messianic rabbis. Those normally are people who have got what we call smicha or ordination. And so the term rabbi today is not the same as it was back then. I see. I think what they would both have in common, you would say, is that in both circumstances of the use of rabbi, it refers to somebody who's teaching others how to keep Torah. Yeah, absolutely. There, that is a foundational thing. There are people who are teaching the Jewish people uh, how they ought to live. And more than just teaching the Torah, because remember, there were the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees. They taught Torah, too. And some of them were rabbis. But more than teaching just the Torah, you taught how to interpret it. So you said, uh, this is what it means. You basically made up what or, or helped teach people in what we call now halakha. This is the way in which you should walk. This is what the rules of the Torah actually mean in practice today. And so Jesus, Yeshua, definitely did this. Yes. He, he said, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And he said, this is the proper way to interpret and implement and use the Torah in your own spiritual life and, and life in general. Mm, yeah, and I think for many Jewish people who read the Gospels, they often say, wow, this book is so Jewish, you know, and they see Jesus expounding on the Torah. But one misconception about Jesus is that he was against Torah because he called out the Pharisees about their traditions. For example, in Matthew 12, when Jesus and his disciples were picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath, they weren't selling it, just picking and eating. The Pharisees got angry with them. And also, we often see Jesus healing people on the Sabbath as well, which also made him not very uh, popular with the Pharisees. However, we know Jesus kept the law perfectly because he never sinned. So can you briefly explain the difference between the Torah and the traditions? 
Yeah, you know, for uh, Jewish people, there's this idea that actually has a little bit of merit, but is not absolutely um, something that we should put our faith and hope in. Mm -hmm. But this idea that when Moses wrote down the Torah, he didn't write down everything that he ever said about it. In fact, mm -hmm. therefore, we have what we call the oral law. Now, uh, for some Jewish people, the oral law, as it is explained in the first century and in the Mishnah and the Talmud after that, um, is authoritative. And we would say, as believers, that the only thing that is absolutely authoritative, and most Messianic Jews are of this mind, the only thing that's absolutely authoritative is the Word of God. If there yeah. are such traditions that have been handed down and might actually have survived some of them from the very days of Moses, they are not at the same level as the Word of God. And so a rabbi teaches not only the Torah, but he teaches these things and understands them at the least so that he can help people learn how they ought to live. And mm -hmm. Yeshua himself didn't take these rules as and uh, teachings as absolutely authoritative. Again, he said, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, um, the rule concerning grind, grinding grain, it makes total sense that you don't harvest and grind grain on the Sabbath. But whether that extends to taking a little bit for yourself to eat in your hand and grinding it in your hand to eat, that's a halakha. That is a interpretation. And Yeshua says, you know, that finer point is, is not really at the core. And we need to get back to what the Lord actually said rather than getting hung up on what we call the fence around the Torah, the rules that prevent us from breaking the rules. And for what it's worth, it was well-intentioned. You know, I think the the oral law really was meant to like try to protect people from disobeying the Torah. But we see that uh, it actually became burdensome on the people in Jesus's time. But we know that Yeshua really did respect the Torah and taught the Torah. And he told his disciples in Matthew 5.17 that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill. So what exactly does that mean? Yeah, I really think that verse is, is fundamental. And mm. what we have to do with every scripture is look at it in context. And it is at, right at the beginning of what we call the Sermon of the Mount, verse 17 or 18 into chapter 5 of Matthew. And, um, and it basically is the Lord saying, I haven't come to destroy but to fulfill, and he's opposing destruction of the Torah with a Greek word called pleroo, which is to fulfill, but he's definitely not saying that his fulfillment of the law annuls the law. In other words, mm -hmm. the Torah is in the New Testament even of eternal value. It is the righteousness of God. The Torah is written in the five books of Moses, describes God's righteousness. It does not describe a way of salvation, except maybe for Israel as a people, but um, it describes the, the way in which we ought to live to please God. And not again to get merit, 
but in order to right. um, fulfill our covenant obligations. So he didn't want to destroy the law. In fact, if I might add, um, he he also said, not one jot or one tittle shall pass away till all these things be fulfilled. And when he said that, he's saying not the smallest part of the law will pass away. And the reason he said that is because all things being fulfilled actually carries us on to the very war of Armageddon. That's after his millennial rule. All things are fulfilled when heaven and earth are rolled up like a scroll and there is a new heaven and a new earth. Then everything comes to its completion. Those are the things that are prefigured already in the Torah and part of the whole package. be right back. Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. Is it possible for Jewish people to believe in Jesus when there's such a sad history of Christian anti-Semitism that has shaped Jewish attitudes towards the gospel? Well, I know there's hope because I'm Jewish and I believe in Jesus. And I would love to offer a few suggestions for reaching Jewish people personally with the love of God through Messiah. First, keep your message personal. You're representing a person, not a religion. Second, be loving, patient, and kind, even when they object. And then finally, and most importantly, pray. Touching the heart of your Jewish friend with the good news of Messiah will also touch the very heart of God. And you can learn more by visiting Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com slash radio. During these difficult times, we know how hard it is to hold on to hope. And we want you to know that Chosen People Ministries is here for you. If you have any prayer requests, our prayer team is standing by to receive them. You can submit your request at chosenpeople.com forward slash pray. Again, that's chosenpeople.com forward slash pray. So um, would you say that there is, I guess, an aspect to the Torah that's also prophetic? Yeah, absolutely. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, Moses says that the Lord will raise up for you a prophet who is like unto me. And then he says something really profound. He says, mm -hmm. him you shall hear and he will speak the words of the Lord. He will speak exactly what the Lord tells him. So you go forward to Yeshua, and here he is. He's one like Moses because he is a teacher now who is interpreting the Torah for the Jewish people and showing its true intent. He's the authoritative teacher. And again, the Sermon on the Mount points out that he, is, he has that level of authority like Moses, and the people were amazed. Mm. Here in um, Deuteronomy, he says, he's only going to speak the words that the Lord gives him to speak. And then we come to the book of Yohanan or John, mm -hmm. 
And Yeshua very clearly says, I hear from the Father and I only say the words that he gives me to speak. Right. It's very clear. There's a prophetic fulfillment in our Messiah. And that's, of course, just one of those uh, hints in the Torah of the days of Messiah. Wow, that was beautifully put. And we definitely see that uh, Yeshua's disciples carry on this ministry that he began. So can you tell us a little bit, especially since you studied this for your doctorate degree, what does the book of Acts specifically show us about the earliest believers in Yeshua and about their relationship to the Torah? Yeah, that's something that people uh, really are beginning to clue in on and figure out that the mm -hmm. earliest Jewish believers, they clearly worshiped in the temple until the temple was destroyed. And mm -hmm. that means as, um, as they went, they prayed there, they made their offerings there, their sacrifices, they paid their temple tax, and they saw nothing in it that contradicted their faith in Yeshua as their salvation, as their re source of redemption. And so it was given that they would continue to do this. And even Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, offered sacrifices and paid for the offering of sacrifices in the temple in Acts chapter 21. So wow. the real issue in Acts is not whether or not they should keep um, keeping the Torah. That's maybe something for another discussion. The mm -hmm. real issue in Acts is whether or not Gentiles who come to faith in Yeshua should have to keep the Torah, and ultimately, whether if they come to Messiah, Yeshua, they should actually become Jews in order mm. to truly become part of God's people. Yeah. So that's the real discussion. And so when you get to Acts 15, it's very clear they make that decision that no, actually, you don't have to keep the Torah insofar as it pertains to us as Jews. You just have to keep these minimal requirements. And of course, there are there's more to be said about it. But these are the basic relevant things that need to be kept by all believers in order for us to have fellowship together. Mm. So they didn't see any conflict between keeping the Torah and their faith in Yeshua. And that was entirely natural coming out of their context. Every Jew, whether or not they kept it, understood that the Torah was given to the Jewish people and that maybe they should. Even if they disagreed, they knew that was the thinking in those days. And the Jewish believers didn't disagree. Yeah. And I think one thing we need to keep in mind, too, for Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, is that uh, these new Gentile believers were coming from completely pagan cultures. So I think that's also why the, the disciples picked those specific laws especially, because I think those would have been involved in the pagan customs that these Gentile believers were coming from. Yeah, that's really true. And actually, that's what my doctoral dissertation was on, was a discipleship mm -hmm. manual written by Jewish believers for the Gentiles. And it demonstrates mm -hmm. that they're fully on board with God's plan to bring the gospel to the nations. But as they explain discipleship and how a believer should live for these people who are not Jewish, mm -hmm. they include all kinds of moral requirements that we would agree with, but they are very careful and strikingly omit those commandments that 
should be specifically viewed as commands given as a sign between God and Israel. For example, the Sabbath. The Lord's Day is mentioned, but the Sabbath never is. And this book is written probably by these early believers, if not in Jerusalem, maybe in Pella on the other side of the Jordan or in Antioch. Mm. It's, it's written by them in these early days around that time that the apostles were getting elderly and uh, passing away or being executed for one reason or another. They really made it clear. You don't have to keep those things that are specific to the people of Israel. So the Sabbath, the festivals, kosher food is not mentioned and circumcision is not mentioned. Mm -hmm. And yet that fits beautifully with Acts chapter 15, where the same kind of thinking is behind the apostolic decree. Yeah. And speaking of the apostles, we know that the apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10, 4, for Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What does this mean? Yeah, I love that verse because it doesn't mean the end as in it's all over once <laughs> the end comes. Now Messiah's come, it's all over. The word there is telos, which uh, means the end goal and sometimes can mean perfection. It's, mm. He is the, uh, the ultimate goal of the Torah. In other words, the Torah points to him. He is the, and then Rav Shaul qualifies it. He says, for righteousness. Mm. So in terms of our righteousness, Messiah is the one who has fulfilled the Torah and takes us the rest of the way beyond what we, we can do in a, and of ourselves. We can all keep certain aspects of the Torah, but we can't keep it like he did. And because of his unique po position as both um, entirely one with the Almighty God, but also one with us as, as a human being, he was in that position to mediate and to fulfill on our behalf. And so to, today, Jewish people, religious Jews, will go and pray at the tombs of rabbis who, and people who are considered extremely righteous and hope that through their prayers in those places, that somehow their prayers might have extra merit on the basis of their, uh, on the basis of the righteousness of those rabbis whose tombs mm -hmm. they're praying at. We have a much greater rabbi who's yeah. who's alive and is able to livingly intercede for us. It's really fantastic. So he's the end of the Torah in the sense that he he fulfills it beyond what we can to its ultimate degree so that we are declared absolutely righteous in terms of the requirements of the Torah before God. Amen. And that's such a relief because nobody can perfectly keep the law. So no. that is indeed good news. Yeah. So yeah. as a Jewish believer in Jesus, how has coming to faith in Yeshua impacted your perception of the Torah? Well, I think I'm different than some Jewish believers in my generation, in that mm. most Jewish believers in my generation did not have Jewish parents who believed mm. in Yeshua, and I did. So yeah. I grew up in a home where we really understood from my very earliest age who Yeshua was and what he meant to us. But 
it has become increasingly clear to me that the Torah is still vital and relevant to me as a Jewish believer. After all of my studies, I can see from my studies in Acts and from my studies in this book called the Didache that mm. there was no other thought in the minds of the early Jewish believers other than that, yeah, the Torah is still valid for us today. It's and they didn't even question that. To do away with the Torah would be to do away with this covenant, this relationship between God and Israel. It's based on the Torah. And there's a sense in which replacement theology or supersessionism, whatever you want to call it, which says that the church has superseded Israel. That kind of thinking has basically relied on this idea that the Torah is no longer relevant to Israel, but it's still mm -hmm. there. God says, I will have this relationship with you forever. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's something that actually goes beyond the actual commandments of the Torah and, and says, even beyond these instructions, whether or not you keep them, I am your God, you are my people. So. I would never think that anyone should keep or think that keeping the commandments of God has merit in terms of our relationship to God, um, in terms of our salvation and our eternal future. But for Jewish believers, the Torah, at the very least in a broad sense, has outlined that relationship between us and God, between God and Israel, and is still relevant today. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Daniel. As we uh, conclude here, I have just one question to ask you, one bottom line question. Is Christianity anti-Torah? Well, maybe if I say the Christianity of the Bible, the, uh, the New Testament revelation of Messiah, that is not anti-Torah at all. What Christianity has become in history as a, as a religious system, yes, yeah, sometimes that has been very anti-Torah. But the Bible that we hold dear, that true believers in Yeshua, um, whether Jewish or Gentile, hold as their authority, is definitely not anti-Torah. It, it cautions us strongly against um, looking to Torah as the way of righteousness and the way to God. But it also very strongly and clearly shows that even people like Rav Sha'ul to the end of their days were keeping Torah. Timothy, his disciple who was Jewish, had a Jewish mother, he was circumcised because it he was Jewish and he was in that covenant relationship with God and, and Rav Sha'ul wanted it to be clear and plain. So yeah, the, the true, true Christianity is not anti-Torah. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. When Yeshua came to earth, he taught people how to properly keep the Torah, the spirit of the law, not just the letter. Jesus raised the standard by calling us to see the deeper meaning of God's laws. For Jewish people who have come to faith in Yeshua, their understanding of the Torah has been enlightened by the way Jesus explained and fulfilled it. We will all see the complete fulfillment of the Torah when Jesus returns. And until then, we walk in obedience to God's word as he leads us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Chosen People Ministries Seattle branch leader, Dr. Daniel Nessen. This episode was written and produced by Nicole Vaca and edited by Grace Swee. This episode was also made possible thanks to Abe Vasquez, Robert Walter, Dr. Mitch Glazer, and Kyron Bautista. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at OurHopePodcast.com slash support. See you next time.